Hi, this is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and you're listening to the Fairy and Fantasy class. Welcome to episode 27 of Fairy and Fantasy. This week, Professor Olson finishes Smith of Wooten Major, the short story by J.R.R. Tolkien. Let's get back to Smith. Um, I want to... I said I wanted to talk about the flower, and I do. But let's talk about the queen first. Since we finally meet the fairy queen, or at least Smith meets the fairy queen, and we're told something about it, what did you notice? What struck you? We have met fairy royalty before. Of course, it would be interesting to put this passage in Smith, that is Smith's encounter with the queen of fairy, uh, next to, say, Orpheus' encounter with the king and queen of fairy, or uh, even Mountfall's uh, encounter with Triamor. Um, what do we what do we see? What did you what did you find interesting about the depiction of the Queen of Fairy and her interaction with Smith? Yeah, Matt. She seems to treat him like he's part of her voice. Like in Orpheum, they treat him like part because he is, and treat him more than one have a completely not like hierarchical relationship. Yeah, yeah. But the, fairy, the Queen of Fairy talks to Smith like he's her servant, like he's a, a, her knight. She shows him that same kind of benevolence that James and Queen are supposed to show Yeah, and I think uh, Tolkien draws our attention to that, I think, and to the way in which that's an active piece of generosity on her part. Remember his first reaction when he comes before her, he doesn't kneel or bow. Remember why Smith does not kneel or bow to the to the fairy queen? Jordan, you have the passage? He stood before her and he did not kneel on courtesy, for he was dismayed and felt that for one so lowly all gestures were in vain. For one so lowly all gestures were in vain. I am so far beneath her. I don't even merit kneeling before her, as if I were one of her subjects, right? I'm not even one of her subjects. I'm not even one of the... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not even at the bottom of her hierarchy. I am so far outside this hierarchy that for me to bow or kneel would be just perfectly irrelevant. I can't possibly make myself sort of fit more appropriately into this picture no matter what I do, so I'm just going to stand here awkwardly. And then later, in the conversation, she says to him, kneel. And he kneels before her, and she puts her hands on his head. And so I think there we can see what Matt was describing, her sort of acceptance of him, acceptance of his service, her treating him like she is one of her people. Um, and she initiates that. Um, and so even though it seems counterintuitive, right, when she says, kneel before me, that that's generous, right? But it could, I mean, that's, that does seem to be the cue that we're given. He was, he felt himself anyway to be beneath even abasement towards her. And she says, kneel, and, and places her hands on his head and blesses him. And also, it seems, gives him a kind of vision there in that moment, too. But, uh, but good, yeah, I think that that's, that is a very important thing that we can see. Um, her, we talked about the physical boundaries of fairy in this story being not exactly clear, um, though there clearly are distances involved. But even physical, even her physical being seems to be 
unclear, right? One moment she looks like one thing, the next moment she looks like another thing. The other, the elven warriors around her, above whom she is towering, vanish. And, uh, I mean, these kinds of things seem to shift about pretty quickly. Jordan? My thought was interesting that it says she wore no crown and had no throne, but then goes on to emphasize how, how, how useless these things would be for someone as man and glorious code. It doesn't directly say that, but it's like she stood there in her majesty and her glory, and all about her was a great horse, shimmering and glittering in the above, but she was taller than the points of their great sphere, and upon her head there burned a white flame. It's like, okay, the white flame better than any crown. Yeah. She's too tall and too grand and too glorious to sit on any yes. small throne. Good. She stands there in her majesty. Right? Yeah, no throne, no scepter, no crown. Why not? Because he's one of the people there. He's like, I'm really cool crowd. So this is too good for crowds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a sense, sure. The Orfeo Fairy King has, remember, that crown made of a single gem, which nobody even knows what it is, and it's shining with light, right? So here we're establishing... The sovereignty of this king is beyond comparison to the sovereignty of mortal kings, right? If, inasmuch as his crown is to be taken as a symbol of his sovereignty, which is, of course, the point of crowns, that's why one wears it, right? To signify, I have sovereignty, and thus am wearing this, I mean, simply understood as a hat, it's not very useful. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's all of those things, crowns, thrones, scepters, these are symbols, external symbols, to signify majesty, sovereignty, authority, power, right? <clears throat> different things in different ways. Different aspects, that is, the throne, the crown, a scepter, the little orb thing that, uh, you know, the kings, of, king, kings and queens of England hold, right? All of those things, they're, they're symbols, Right? They are, when, when, a, when, a, when a human king or queen is adorned in their full royal panoply, they are enacting, consciously enacting symbolism. She doesn't need it. She needs no external signification of her power. Though, Jordan, as you point out, the flames about her head are like the spontaneous emission of her own sovereignty, right? She doesn't, she doesn't need to put something on. That, that, that sign is just like spontaneously emerging from her. So clearly, majesty, sovereignty, the intrinsic authority <coughs> of the fairy queen. And we see this also revealed to Noakes later on, right? When Alf does his thing... <laughs> Uh, and kind of uncloaks himself to Noakes, he is revealed, you know, a, a similar kind of authority and power uh, is, is revealed in him. What is Smith thinking about when he is there in the presence of the fairy queen? What is he really embarrassed about? Okay. Remembering the, the party with the giant cake and the fairy on top. Yeah, the little... That was supposed to be her. Yeah, the little fairy queen doll. Yeah. Really embarrassing, in retrospect. Um, what does the fairy queen say about it? 
sensitive setting and has like basically community representation, which we didn't just continue to have and done. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't have to make that. So she can be able to use two of them to do Yeah. Alf did make it. So remember what he said to Noakes. It's your idea. <laughs> remember, it was your idea. I, I'm not taking the fall for this. <laughs> but yeah, Alf made it. Alf made it. At Noakes' instruction. That is one of the things that I would emphasize about the depiction of the fairy queen here is that not only is Tolkien depicting her as very high, very lofty, um, uh, enormously majestic, literally enormously majestic at first, um, but also in the antique, that is, non-purely insulting sense of the word, condescending. That is, she comes down. She humbles herself. She humbles herself to accept Smith. He's kind of right that he doesn't deserve even to be taken as her servant. He knows that he is below all... I mean, he just he doesn't measure up even to the least of the fairies, even to the people of the fairy kingdom. She not only condescends to accept him and have him kneel before her, but even the business about the tinsel dawn, right? She's not offended. She could be. How dare you! Puny mortals! Insult my majesty in this way, I shall smite you! <laughs> I mean, you know, there are people in other stories who have been smitten for less than that. <laughs> but she, she doesn't do that. Not only does she not smite people who order little dolls made of her, she, she says it's okay. Better that than nothing. Better that than no memory of fairy at all. Remember Noakes. Noakes is our clear representative of people who are ignorant of fairy. Right? He's the only one that we meet who's really in that position, who's really in like an anti-fairy camp. Um, or rather, completely like a a fairy camp, perhaps, would be a better way to describe it. Um, and what does he, what is his memory of it? When someone says, as, I mean, when Alf says it is from fairy, what does he think? What does he know about fairies? Probably stories from childhood and, like, fun little memories like that. Um, he connects it with sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of the two things that are particularly associated with children, right? That children really like. They really like fairies and they really like sugar, right? And, and I do think, I mean, as you suggest, the implication, I think, is that he used to like fairy stories when he was little. This is one of the only two things that he... He, 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 he never lost the love of sugar, but he, uh, he, he doesn't care about fairy stories anymore. And so as a consequence of his attitude towards fairy, this leads him to do two things. That is, his vague, insulting, confused, and very few thoughts and memories of fairy lead him to take two courses of action, right? One, to put the fairy queen on top of his great cake. An insulting, idiotic little doll of the fairy queen. But anyway, the fairy queen. And the second thing... 
What's the other thing that's his idea? Uh, he speaks for her when he's, when he's talking about her. Yeah, he does. And this, I would sort of categorize that in the putting her on the... That is, he, he not only puts her... It, it's not just that he happens, you know, i got to put some decoration on the cake, uh, and, you know, why not a little, a little fairy queen with a little wand, right? Um, but rather, that is... He, he, he makes it a completely fairy-themed cake, right? And, and, and we see this in the way that he talks about it to the children. Um, oh, the fairy queen, she doesn't always play fair. Har, 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 right? And, I mean, and it's really embarrassing, especially in retrospect. I mean, you look back at that scene, knowing who Alf is, and what's Alf doing during this time? Sharpening the huge knife. <laughs> and remember, that's the memory that Smith has of him. I will always remember him standing there with that long, sharp knife in his hand while Noakes was presenting the cake. That's like the frozen memory that Smith has, that Smith has of Alf. And he's studying the face of the <coughs> So anyway, in retrospect, that seems even more awkward, right? But again, so he, he, but nevertheless, Noakes is insulting, confused ideas about fairy lead him, nevertheless, to dedicate the cake to the fairy queen, to make the fairy queen the theme of the cake, which the fairy queen says to Smith, this planted in your heart, you have longed to meet me ever since that day. Right? And I know had no idea what he was doing. In fact, what he was doing, I mean, if you have to say anything, it seems bad. But the result was good. Am I what are you going to say? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. What's the other thing? No success. It's a really odd thing. Put the star in the cake. Yeah, exactly. The two things that his, this, like, he latches onto this fairy idea, suggested, of course, by Alf saying that the star was from fairy. And he's like, oh, great. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great kitty theme. What's wrong with, it? with the fairy theme, right? We'll make it a fairy queen cake and we'll put the star in it. And then I'm going to make the comments about the fairy. Oh, the star, it's especially lucky, right? And both of those things, the cake to a lesser extent, the star to a greater extent, do good despite his ignorance and despite his poor intentions or non-intentions. Jordan? One thing I found really, really intriguing about uh, the scene when he's putting it in the face of is uh, he finds it and he goes, that's funny. And Quentin says, no it isn't. Skipping a lot of text in the world. Yeah. He says, what do you mean, young fellow? It is fairy, not fairy. Oh, by the way, it means much the same, but call it that if you like. And I'm thinking, talking about being a linguist has got to be like, just, that, that's like the high, villainy of the highest order of the notes being anyway there. Yeah. With dismissing theory and confusing words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, it certainly shows how, uh, how, I mean, though, though even sort of to push that a little further, to him, the two things are synonymous, right? That fairies are funny. I don't know if the, it works the other way, that funny things are, are fairy, but, uh, but anyway, it's, 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 they mean much the same thing, right? Um, now, later on, when we see these two characters interacting again at the end of the story, Alf makes at least one attempt to impress upon him. It is not funny. <laughs> right? And he gets it briefly. Briefly. But you'll notice, even there, we see a similar kind of humility, a similar kind of condescension from Alf. Not only has he put up with this idiot for decades and decades, <laughs> 
still calling him master and condescending to be called Prentice and insulted by him every time he meets him, right? Before finally, realize how long it's been? He's been master cook for a long time. He's had two great cakes, minimum of 25 years, right? But probably a good deal more than that. And he was apprenticed to Noakes for seven years prior to the first great, to the great cake that Noakes made. So he's been, he's known Noakes for 55 years at this point. He's been putting up this guy for a long time. And only then, after 55 years, does he say, you are a fraud. Right? Um, and finally tells him what, what he wrote. But again, and the consequence? I mean, again, if anyone has merited a smiting, Noakes has at this point. What does he get? Very <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He gets his wish. He gets a blessing. He gets a blessing. The blessing he requested. And not only is he given a blessing instead of a curse, but he's given a blessing, and the blessing persists, despite the fact that he actively disbelieves it afterwards. Not only does he not deserve it, he's not grateful for it afterwards. And denies that he's been given a blessing. And so far as we know, given that he has the last words in the entire story, the now very aged and still idiotic Mr. Noakes is going to apparently, eventually, go to his grave still showing the same disrespect for fairy that he has through his now hundred year old, well, though actually perhaps not, right? Maybe not all hundred years. Maybe the first ten or so were less so. But anyway, and that's, but that the humility of fairy, the condescension of fairy. They're, they don't stand on their rights. They don't assert their rights. Mark? Um, well, one of my, this just a little part that I think is really funny. Um, he, they say that he just muses about his, his 24-year-old, 24, 24 uh, 24-year beast cake, there we yeah. go, for the rest of his life, like it was the biggest and best that was ever made. And then Tolkien says later, and he reached his um, his 100th year, and it was the only thing of note that he did in his entire life. So no one else cared about his cake so much. No, no, no. And of course, Alf knows perfectly well. I love the the, the really understated comment that and that by the end he he had convinced himself that it was his cake, right? Yeah. He had forgotten the fact that he didn't really know how to do it, and had Alf do all the hard bits, and you know, sort of looked over Alf's shoulder and figuring out how to do the rest. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, clearly that was not a significant accomplishment. Only growing old, which was facilitated by the, which is a result of the blessing that Alf gave him. And yet, he's not punished. Nothing bad happens to him. But again, and that's, that seems to be, that is, it seems to be very much of a piece with how we see Alf acting all the way along and how the fairy queen treats Smith and what she says to him. Yeah, sure. <coughs> um, my reading seems to revert to me this a little. I'm wondering if you can point me in the passage when we're you, drunk. My impression, maybe it's just an impression that can't be proven one way or the other, 
But was the Elf's two great kicks? Everyone acknowledged the Elf made the one that was standard, except for Noakes, and so his second great kick was his first one he had done as Master Cook rather than Apprentice? Oh no, I think he is he is Cook for two. Because the way he says, um, I'm the only I'm the only I'm the only Master Chef who has made two great kicks, he, he doesn't get public credit for Noakes's Okay, Noakes should know. He knows, and Noakes should know that Noakes wasn't really responsible. But that was Noakes' case. I'm pretty sure. It's been also, also age-wise, uh, Smith is just—he's nine, going on ten when he takes the uh, thing. And he's a grandfather at the end. Um, so if only 24 years of—I mean, it's not that you can be a grandfather at the age of 35, um, but uh, things would. People would have to be pretty busy pretty quick for that to for that to come along. So I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's too because it, it, 48 years having passed um, for Smith to be 58 at the end seems sort of more sense for him to be talking about there's still strength in these arms. I mean it's true that 35 year old people are very old, uh, withered, uh, and have scarcely any life left in them. But uh, I, I, that's the reference that makes me sort of seems to confirm to me that he's. He's, he's probably um, 58 rather than 34. Um, what else was I going to say? Let's talk about the flower now. When Smith... When Smith is asked to give up the star, or is told that the time has come for him to give up the star, what's his reaction? Well, he says something that I won't get exactly right, but um, he says something along the lines of, um, can't I just keep it in memory of what I did go through in Barry? Um, and they, no, they said, but, you know, I think that's what the flower is, is for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, where we can see the contrast. Um, this is, it's on page 41. Uh, his reaction, and I, I have to... Uh, uh, Apologize for those of you who don't know the Lord of the Rings. I cannot forbear to make the reference here because, well, it's a quotation. And this is written after the Lord of the Rings, remember, so this would have been in Tolkien's mind, too. When, uh, his first response to, do you not think, Master Smith, that it is time for you to give this thing up? What is that to you, Master Cook? And why should I do so? Isn't it mine? It came to me. <laughs> Those are exactly the words that Bilbo uses when Gandalf says it's time to give up the ring. Right? At the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, uh, he doesn't go on to say, my own, my precious, but uh, <laughs> so he just falls short of that. But, but he starts in exactly the same direction. Um, now again, the star is not corrupting of him. We're not like, you know, I, I, I don't want to start a whole, like, star in the one ring parallel, the one star to rule them all. Not suggesting <laughs> What I'm saying is that, that ownership, that possessiveness, that's his first response. His first impulse is possessiveness. It's mine, it came to me. And remember how this connects with his rebuke in, the, in, in interfering when he meets the fairy queen, unknowingly, the first time, right? And he realized, yeah, I thought... I thought that, that, you know, that my star gave me a license to go anywhere, right? He had been presuming, and he's presuming again. In fact, not only was he misunderstanding what the gift of the star really meant, but he was also misunderstanding his relationship with the star. It wasn't given to you. It was lent to you. Not only did you not earn it, and he recognizes it, he says, it came to me, right? 
He's not saying, like, it's mine, I, I want it, I own it, I, he's, it, it, it came to me. Yeah, but only for a time. It's not yours, you don't have a right to it. Now where he goes with this, it came to me, and may a man not keep things that come to him so, at the least as a remembrance. Some things, those that are free gifts and given for remembrance, but others are not so given. And there I think we are, as Marta suggests, supposed to be thinking of the flower. He has been given a gift for remembrance, which he is permitted to take home with him and to lock in a little casket and to keep, and we are told in the middle of the story, to hand down as a family heirloom for generations. He's got one of those. The star is not one of those. Now, compare and contrast star and flower. How does this make sense? What is the difference between these two things? How do they function? Why a star and a flower? Why is the flower giving him to remembrance and not the star? Before we try to answer these bigger questions, let's start with simple things. Similarities and differences. Star and flower. The star seems to have practical use or something to mark someone from fairy. The flower is just something that he can uh, look at and remember the beauty of it himself. Good, good. That's a huge difference, right? The star changes him. We see it change him instantly. We see it change uh, Tim instantly as soon as he as, as soon as he's swallowed it at the end. Right? Um, the star has also been passed down before. Right, exactly. And this is what he's informed of, right? This star was given up by somebody else. Who gave it up? It was his grandfather. Yeah, the former master cook, whom we're just now learning, was Smith's grandfather. We didn't know that before, right? But apparently the former master cook was his grandfather, who gave it up. How did he get it? We don't know, but what? Given in fairy? Yeah, he got it in fairy. Remember that all we know about the guy whom we now know to have been Smith's grandfather was that he went away unexpectedly and came back, changed with an apprentice who turns out to be the king of fairy in disguise. Um, and that he and Alf clearly have some kind of plan. As remember, this, I, I say this from when Alf mentions him about how he talks about the unfortunate career of Noakes, uh, and then how he says, but then I became master cook anyway as we intended. That is he and Smith's grandfather. So does that mean that the cake that, that Noakes made was the first cake to have the star then? It wasn't passed? It but seems so. so. It seems so. This, I'm assuming the star as opposed to, I don't know, I guess, of being past the children, I guess, maybe, like, finding it, like, out yeah, in the wilderness, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. The one thing we get from, the one thing I think we can use to try to figure that out is Alf's first reaction, right, when Noak says, we'll put it in the cake, and he is introducing this, this is not like, and it's like, I know... I have a new idea which comes to me out of nowhere and I don't know where from. I shall put it in the cave. He's not inspired with this idea. Remember how he explains it? 
he says condescendingly to Alf, because he always speaks condescendingly to Alf. We'll put it in the cake, because uh, you know, put it. We like we. We, we, put, we do that around here, right? It's a custom in this village to put trinkets into cakes and then kids find it and it's lucky and it's fun, right? And he, he speaks to Alf like, you might be unfamiliar with this custom, oh, foreigner who's not from our village. Uh, but uh, anyway, we do this around here. And Alf's response to that is, quite right. That's quite the right thing to do. So I, it's an innovation on Noakes' part to put it in the cake. Um, so therefore, I don't think that we can say like, the passing of it down in cake is the traditional way of this happening, though it has become tradition, right? And Alf is, you know, he, of his own choice, decides to continue that. And that's how we're going to pass it on to the next person. It's not going to be given in the, in the different way in which it seems to have been given to the former master cook, who was already a master cook and not a child at all, and he apparently received the farewell. If we are to understand, as it seems we are, that his mysterious vacation was his first trip to fair because of the way he would change when he came back and so suggest that was his first trip to fair. Though, in very, uh, in very Tolkien fashion, he does this all over the place in his longer fiction, but even in his short stories, he tends to introduce these characters who clearly have these really interesting and fascinating stories that we never hear about and never know. The story of... of Ryder, the former master cook, going to Ferry and being given the star and his partnership with Alf and coming back and everything. That would be a pretty interesting story to hear, too. Uh, but we don't get it. Um, as I say, often happens. Um, more, more, more star, star and flower. So one difference is clearly function. As Taylor says, the flower is for looking at. All they do is look at it. And the star does something. It, it changes them. And it, it changes them, and uh, that is the, the, the ones that we did. And uh, it, it, it becomes for them their, you know, their sort of ticket, their passport. Barnum? Well, in the story, they kind of mentioned this one, but it's an important uh, difference. Like I said, the star was, it just came to him, it was um, by chance, mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, and the flower was given to him by the fairy queen at that, that dancing. Um, for the sole purpose of saying, here, this was such a wonderful day. Take this and remember how wonderful it was. So the star did not have that kind of connotation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's right. It's, it's... The way in which it's not passed on by chance the second time certainly, I think, helps us to imagine that it was not being passed on by chance the first time. Of course, we're told it wasn't, because we're told that that was what his grandfather wanted, was for him to get it. And again, I, turn to, I think of that moment where, where Alf is turning to the children and looking out among them and studying their faces as uh, Noakes is making his dumb speech and preparing to cut the cake. Um, it is very clear that he controls who's going to get the star though he is choosing to give um, Smith at the, the Hester Fairy Queen Smith a role in choosing who it goes to. This might be a kind of dumb question, maybe I just didn't read hard enough, but how do they confer that uh, the next uh, little boy gets it if it's being put in? Magic. 
Okay. <laughs> it's mad. I mean, again, what Note says is almost right. Like the dumb, insulting thing that, yes, actually, in a sense, the fairy queen or the king or whoever, anyway, some member of fairy royal family is, in fact, deciding who gets what in the cave. <coughs> um, it's another thing that's really great about that scene. That is not just sort of the irony of you know, picturing Alf standing there and listening to this and sharpening his knife, but, but the fact that almost everything that Noak says is, is right. I mean, horribly wrong, but also ironically accurate, too. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it at all. But he's, but he's, but he's kind of right. Yeah? Um, on the so flow thing, the flow is very much a personal memento. It's, 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 it's significance is, is as much in the fact that it's, it's from the meeting with the queen when he doesn't know she's a queen. Like, as far as you know, that point story, just the flower she found and put in his hair. Yeah. And so it, Where did she find it? At her feet. How did it get there? Springs up at her feet as she's dancing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it does later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go, go ahead. I keep interrupting. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, she's specifically giving it as a magazine, maybe we'll meet again. It's a crucial moment on the stone. Well, it's it, it, given by the king, which is another to get queen king. But the stone is very much, it's never, you don't find out who, who gave it to you, what purpose is until much later, and much more impersonal gift. Yeah. Even if it doesn't, even deeper significance, perhaps in your life. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I agree. Um, it, it's not to say by saying the flower is a more personal gift doesn't mean, as you say, that it's like more important than the star or more 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 significant. But 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 yeah, a very different thing. Um, it is it is a personal gift. It is a person. This is a gift from the fairy queen to you personally, Smith. Smith is given sort of a connection to fairy as a whole through the star. Um, but that doesn't make the star itself his. In the way that the flower is his, because it was given to him personally. Um, other thing that I think is interesting. No, sorry, Christine, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say they're both musically related. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly there are some post. Even uh, just like the light from them is, uh, I think. Like, I mean, the flower is is, is radiant flower. Um, <clears throat> when we see that, when, when Alf reveals himself to Nooks, do you remember his forehead? Yeah, there's a shining jewel in the middle of his forehead when he reveals himself in his true form, or a different form anyway, to Nooks. Um, which I think is really Interesting, given all of the emphasis on, I mean, Smith being called Starbrow, right? What has happened to him, literally, visibly, is that he has been made like a fairy, like the king of fairies. He's sort of been, the fairy mark has been placed on him. He now sounds like a fairy when he sings. He looks like a fairy when the, the star is shining. And so he is given passage into this, and he's protected. If he were one of the people of the fairy king and queen, um, I love that image 
of that, that, that description of the light of the star being reflected in Alf's eyes when, uh, when Smith sees him and he sees that his eyes are, are glowing as if with reflected light. Um, and he doesn't know because Smith seems not to be able to perceive the light from the star coming off his own forehead. Um, other people like tell him like you know it sounds like your star is shining bright and his response is not like yeah I know I've been like you know you know using it all the way home you know he 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 doesn't seem to be aware of it and he only can tell by inference when Alf reaches out and touches it and dims the star he can only tell that that happened because he sees the light go out in in Alf's eyes the reflection stop um, it's not like. Like, yeah, I was lighting the path with that. And, oh, great, now I'm in darkness. Thanks for turning off my flashlight. <laughs> it doesn't seem to work that way. That is, the, the light of the star doesn't seem to be merely physical in that sense. And it's not obvious to me that Smith can even detect it. Um, but, but anyway, what has happened is, again, he, he, he looks like he looks like Alf himself. He is, he is the one who is actually the reflection of Alf. Um, in his star brownness, whereas again the flower is different. The flower is, of course, also a living thing. It's not an object. Well, <laughs> we'll say it wasn't an object you store in a box, except they do store it in a box. But anyway, the point is that it remains alive, right? And that's one thing that you know it, it never fades or withers. It is a living thing, and it remains alive. And that I think. Is an interesting is an interesting thing to remember when thinking about the significance of the gift that he's been given. Thinking about it, Taylor, the terms that you were pointing out that the, how personal a gift it was. Right? He's been given a living thing. He has a living memory of fairy, not just his memories, not just an object like the awesome toddler toy he's going to give to young Tom. Right? The little fairy bells. Um, it's a pretty sweet second birthday present, I have to say. Um, he's, he's got more than that. He has a living flower. Um, a living flower from inner fairy. A living flower which sprang up at the feet of the queen of fairy as she danced in inner fairy and given to him generously, despite the rebuke that she, that she gave him that. Um, well, I guess pretty much what you said, that the star is sort of a mark of like a fairy person, but the flower was from the landscape. This would signify a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, good. I mean, it's, it's, it is really neat in that, on the one hand, it, it is connected to people, right, in that it's the, it's the personal gift of the fairy queen, but it is also, it is a thing of fairy itself. Not just a relic brought from fairy, not just a, an artifact made in fairy. <laughs> but a growing, living piece of fairy itself. Um, the living quality of it, I think, is also interestingly emphasized in the reference to the closing of the casket. You remember that? They have a key to the casket. Uh, the, you know, the, not only is the casket passed down, but the key to the casket is passed down in Smith's family so they can open it with the key when they want to. But, but what happens? The time of its shutting was not theirs to choose. Time of its shutting was not theirs to choose. The casket closes itself on its own schedule. Um, that is, there's still this sense of almost something approaching a living sort of mutual relationship there. It's not, it's theirs. 
it's, this, is, this is their possession, unlike the star. But it still is its own thing, to some extent. It still, it still has a say in this relationship, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, what more do we see, thinking both about Smith himself and also in, in, in broader terms about the village as a whole, about the, 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 the consequences of the connections between fairy and the mortal world between fairy and terra cognita? Well, there's the catalyst of that said that basically Alex and Ben are really old school architecture. Yes. And, and he redoes the whole great model to look like it did. It doesn't say how long ago, but apparently very long ago, so long ago they weren't interested. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. A very, a very fun Tolkien moment, that one. Right? People dismissed Alf's like, new ways of doing art as strange and newfangled. But there were some people who knew that it was not, in fact, newfangled but just a return to things so old that the rest of the people didn't recognize it. Um, this, <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying Tolkien was himself explicitly thinking of this, but I can't th- help but think of like <laughs> Tolkien's own books in prose style. Uh, you know, people are like, why is he writing these weird books? No, they're just old, actually. Um, but, but yeah, he, he, he likes old architecture, and it's not only, old, not, not only old, but beautiful, brightly colored. He's brought back stained glass into the into the, the, the great hall and gilding and bright colored painting. Um, and Smith and his uh, and the new apprentice, the next master cook, whose name is Harper. Harper. Um, they keep up the memory of, of of Alf and his architectural innovations. What else? What does Smith notice about the feast? When he's there watching the kids. Page 57 is the passage I'm thinking about. The time for the 24 feast came round. Smith was there to sing songs and his wife to help with the children. Smith looked at them as they sang and danced, and he thought that they were more beautiful and lively than they had been in his boyhood. Now, this could just be like, you know, his memory or something, that his perspective has changed. He's looking at this scene, which is the same as the one from from 48 years before with different eyes, but, but there's also possibly another explanation that's, that he goes on to think. For a moment, it crossed his mind to wonder what Alf might have been doing in his spare time. See the implications of that? Especially now that he knows, now that Smith knows, that the guy who has been their master cook for several decades is actually the king of fairy. It occurs to him now, maybe the king of fairy... For some reason, the King of Fairy chose to live in Wooten Major and be their master cook for decades. Maybe there's something going on here other than just me. Right? I've been changed. I've been affected. I've had this star. There are other people who have been changed, too. This might sound like a weird question, but um, is it they affected because he was living there, or is it implied that, that Alf was sleeping around with the women? 
there's new insights that your students give you in just familiar texts that never cross your mind previously. Um, <laughs> no. Okay. Um, I couldn't prove it. <laughs> but no. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea what else is saying that. Or how I'm going to say anything else after that. <laughs> Look at the time. <laughs> See you on Monday. <laughs> That's it for this week. Next week, Professor Olson starts with C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, chapters 1 through 6. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.